0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 54 of 211's Baseball Talk. My name is Dylan Baker. Today I'm joined by the talented Noah Smith and here's what we've got on the menu for you. We'll talk about the MLB plans for a potential season amidst the coronavirus pandemic. We'll talk about Noah's life as a play-by-play broadcaster and we'll even dive into the Troy Tulowitzki trade almost five years later. But first, Noah, how are you today?
1: I'm doing all right, Dylan. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. So let's
0: dive right into things. As we all know, the coronavirus pandemic has had an unprecedented impact on the sports world. However, leagues are getting closer to sports returning as they are formulating plans to return safely. The MLB's plan apparently includes a mini spring training beginning in early June and opening day on July 1st, with teams potentially playing at their home ballparks and playing an 82-game season. There would also be an extra round of the playoffs to go along with that. They could have extra inning games, start with runners on base to speed up the process, and to have a winner faster if they are condensed in a location and field times need to uh, be maintained. And the Blue Jays could have some trouble playing at the Rogers Center due to the fact the borders are closed. So Noah, first off, what are your thoughts on the proposed plan?
1: Well, by just first looking at it, I do like the idea. Obviously, MLB and uh, players Union have made this pretty clear that they want to get uh, as many games in as they possibly can. Right now, I believe what I last heard, it's looking at like an 82-game season. Um, I think that's a good number for them, and they're going to increase the playoffs as well. Overall, I think it'll make it a fairly competitive season. We're going to be looking at um, in the last couple weeks of the regular season where we could be seeing up to 20 teams uh, vying for a playoff opportunity
0: yeah for sure and do you think that a shortened season helps teams like the blue jays that are sort of on the edge of competing but maybe not quite there if we play a full 162 game season make it to the playoffs or at least push for them
1: uh definitely helps them push towards the playoffs and, and like we mentioned with uh, more teams in the playoffs i certainly think the jays are going to be gunning for a playoff spot um it's going to make everything a whole lot more interesting and in my opinion it's going to make things a whole lot more exciting. Uh, I know one of the other things they talked about is the designated hitter in the national league. Um, Overall, I think 82 games is lower than the MLB would like to go to, but I mean, they're kind of running out of options at this point. So uh, they got to do what they got to do. And I think it'll make for an exciting season. I think so too. Now, no one of the big things in the past couple of days has been in the MLB's
0: discussion with the players association. Will players take a pay cut? Do you think that that will happen?
1: Uh, Do I think it will happen? Um, If they do, it's going to be a very, very uh, little pay cut. Uh, The players obviously know what's going on. They know the danger of going back, even though things are looking like they're getting a little bit better, at least here in Canada. Um, The players know that, and they're going to be playing in some dangerous conditions. So I wouldn't be surprised if they ask for uh, almost all their entire pay, despite paying a half a season.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I think they're going to need to take a pay cut. I think all, all players in every league, Uh, Maybe not the NFL, depending on what the situation is when their season gets started. But I think uh, players in the NHL, the NBA and the MLB are going to have to take a pay cut because teams aren't going to generate as much revenue as they normally would in a 162 game season. So I think players are going to have to have a little bit of uh, a little bit knocked off their pay. And I, I hope that they're ready for that because... If they don't accept a pay cut, there's a good chance there will be no baseball this year because owners need to be able to pay, you know, what they can. They can't have these $30 million per season contracts like Bryce Harper has that those are going to be really, really hard to pay right now because teams revenues at the present moment are zero like nothing is coming in. Because I believe the MLB shop is really, really slow right now due to the pandemic and stuff. So even jersey sales are, are going down and they're going to have to refund tickets if they haven't already. So there's there's a lot that's, that's, that's going on. And I think that players are going to have to take a pay cut. The other issue that could happen here, Noah, and this is more for the Blue Jays specifically. Um, do you think that the governments will allow travel between Toronto and the U.S. cities so that the Blue Jays can play?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. And obviously one of the uh, many things that the MLB and specifically Toronto is looking at, I don't think it's going to happen personally. I think it's way too quick, way too early for Toronto to be in the game to be playing at the Rogers center Um, come July 1st. Like you mentioned, they wanted to get the season started. Uh, And to me, if there's not going to be fans there, obviously that really is going to be the top priority for them is to get fans in the seats. And if the fans aren't there, the Jays will be playing in Dunedin, in my opinion, Um, It just makes sense for them. The travel difference isn't really going to be terrible. You've got Tampa Bay already in the east. And I believe the proposal, Dylan, right now is to do just a – interleague play with nl east teams so um if that is the case the travel obviously not that bad in denise
0: yeah for sure and you know you got the marlins down there you got the rays if you were to play an al east and nl east circuit only then it would be it would be a lot easier on travel and i know florida is really pushing to get sports going back again in their state so it might actually benefit the blue jays as much as i hope that the governments will allow teams to go in and out of toronto uh i don't think it will happen either and i think that the the more likely scenario is the Blue Jays end up playing their 82 regular season games or their 41 home games out of Dunedin Stadium down there uh, in Florida. Now, as you mentioned earlier, the plan reportedly includes a universal DH, so that would mean that pitchers in the National League don't get a chance to hit. I don't love the idea of a universal DH just because I love seeing pitchers like Bartolo Colon take hacks and seeing what they
1: might be able to do with the plate. What
0: are your thoughts on a universal DH, and how will baseball look with it implemented?
1: Uh, well, it's funny, Dylan, the University of DH is probably one of the most talked about things uh, almost every offseason in the MLB. Um, I'm on the fence about it, to be completely honest with you. I'm a pitcher myself, so I love to see the pitchers hit. I love to see them get their chance. But at the same time, there's not a whole lot of good hitting pitchers around. I mean, you could probably pick uh, on one hand how many good hitting pitchers are around in the NL Um and with that, I think you lose a little bit of interest from the fans. Whereas if you had that designated hitter, you have a solid nine hitters through the lineup. And I, I just think it's a lot more interesting. You don't have that almost guaranteed out uh, once through the lineup. Yeah, for sure. And like you mentioned,
0: there aren't very many talented hitters in the National League and our pitchers. That uh, That is the talented pitchers that can hit. Um, so I think, yeah, you do lose a little bit of fan interest. It might be better for National League teams, um, but you know, I just—I it's something I really look forward to seeing every time I watch a National League game, and I think it'd be unfortunate if it—if uh, it were to come to an end. Now, final question on this topic, Noah: uh, base runners on bases to start extra innings. It's an idea that I hate, and that I would only be okay with if they are playing all their games in one location and they need to have the next team on the field by a certain time. What are your thoughts on the whole runners on base to start extras?
1: I think it has its place in baseball. I don't know if that place is at the major league level necessarily. Um, Obviously, myself, you, anyone that's played baseball, really, they've probably had that situation happen to them, at least at the minor level where they put the runners on base. The whole point is to try and get things over with uh, quicker than usual. I don't like it. Like you mentioned, I'm not a huge fan of it. I think that uh, extra innings should be the same, played the same way as the rest of the nine. Uh, But that being said, if MLB's plan is to try and get things uh, over with quicker, um, that's one way to do it.
0: Yeah, it sure is. And I see why maybe it would be implemented this year, but I really hope if it does get started this year, that it, is a one-year thing, and it is gone by 2021. Moving on, today we are lucky enough to be joined by my broadcast partner with the London Majors and a guy that I've learned a lot from, uh, as we have Noah Smith on the show. He's the play-by-play voice of the London Majors and the Strathroy Rockets, and along with baseball on Rogers TV. Noah has a lot of broadcasting experience. We're very thankful to have him on. So, Noah, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, not a problem, Dylan. It's, uh, it's awesome to get my first ever appearance on your uh, podcast. I've been waiting a little bit, and I'm happy to be on.
0: We've been talking about this for a while. I'm glad to see that we, uh, we finally got you on. So at what point, Noah, did you decide that you wanted to get into broadcasting?
1: Well, Dylan, I can, uh, I can pinpoint you the exact day that I wanted to get into broadcasting. Uh, I-, I shouldn't say that. I don't know the exact date, but I know the exact moment um I grew up an Ottawa Senators fan in hockey I know you can take your shots there <laughs> if you want we're not doing the greatest right now um but the Sens uh scored a goal it was Daniel Alfredson he scored a goal to send the Ottawa Senators to the Stanley Cup final uh, I remember sitting in my car I didn't want to leave the car because I didn't want to miss a minute of the action and right then I knew that I wanted to be a uh, broadcaster uh, play-by-play whether it's hockey baseball any of the sports that I love uh just the emotion on that call and uh it was fantastic That's awesome. And uh, you hear so many great stories like that where people there's
0: that where people have that one call and they just really enjoy it. And they know that's what I want to do. How did you get started in the industry?
1: Well, I got started. uh, It goes way back to when I was a kid. I remember I would take an old camera that I had at my house and I would meet my buddies and we would go down to the rink and watch our brothers play hockey um, here in Illerton at the local rink. And we would call the games. We would take video and we would call the games. Um, and it wasn't live or anything, it wasn't recorded, we were the only ones that had it, but I just remember the passion that uh, I had, and they they had joining me back then. Um, I really got into more of the professional side of broadcasting. Obviously, I attended Fanshawe College here in London, uh, took the radio broadcasting program, it was fantastic, met so many great people, and that's really where I learned a whole lot of my stuff, um, in terms of broadcasting, but you don't really learn play-by-play until you get into it.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because, like you mentioned, you don't learn play by play until you get into it. That's that's a great that's a that's a great sentence, I guess, that would that explains kind of a lot about broadcasting. You can learn all the technical stuff, but you don't really know what it's like to be live on the air until you get into it, and uh, that's something that I certainly had to adjust to in my first season um, as a Canadian broadcaster. How important was it for you to get into hockey along with baseball?
1: Uh, it's super important. Hockey obviously is. The number one game up here and there's so many different teams around there's junior teams there's you know semi-pro teams around the around our province and around all of Canada um, and I think I remember actually having a conversation with you at the end of the uh, 2019 major season where I said hey if you want to do this you should try to get into hockey as well because that's where you're going to get a lot of opportunities
0: yeah for sure and like you mentioned Canada is dominated by hockey and I do remember that conversation it's what inspired that question actually Uh, on the bus back from, I believe it was Welland in in July. So, Noah, I'll give you a scenario here. Your team's getting blown out, and it's a game that many fans have tuned out of, and fans are leaving the rink or the park. How do you keep the remaining viewers entertained during
1: a tough game? Yeah, those ones are always tough, Dylan. Uh, Both of us, we've been in a few of those situations before. Um, It's tough to keep the listener, the viewer, whatever you're doing, it's tough to keep them interested but you have to treat every game as if it's a close game, as if someone who might be hiring you in the future, someone who might be looking to recruit you in the future is going to tune in at any given moment. And you have to keep that same energy um, with baseball in particular. Hockey is a little bit easier. It's a faster paced game. Um, even if you're getting blown out on the scoreboard in hockey, it's a faster paced game. The games don't last nearly as long as in baseball. So uh, you can kind of deal with it for two hours, but in baseball, Sometimes you're out there for four hours on the air in a game that hasn't been close since the first inning. Uh, It can be tough sometimes, but you just got to keep going, try to keep the energy up. And uh, yeah, you just got to keep the energy up. That's the big thing. You never know who's going to tune in. That's
0: a great point, because I know that a lot of uh, a lot of people looking for broadcasters are interested in how much energy you have, how entertaining you make it for
1: for the viewers. So keeping
0: that energy is something that's very important. And I'll be completely honest with you. It's something I did struggle with a little bit in, uh, in my first season in broadcasting. So Noah, as a play-by-play guy, how much preparation
1: goes into each broadcast for you? A lot of preparation uh, goes into every single broadcast. And the great thing about it is for a play-by-play guy, for a color guy, um, for hosts, anything you're doing in the sports broadcasting industry, everyone has their own way of doing a uh, preparation for a show, for a live sporting event, for a call. Everyone has their own way. Um, I know me and you, we have totally different ways of uh, getting prepared for mm-hmm. games. You like to have everything printed off right in front of you. I like to kind of store things up in my head. Of course, that can give you problems sometimes if you get a little bit forgetful, but everyone has their own ways. I know for me, when I'm on the bus to a game, whether it be for baseball or hockey, um, that two-hour bus ride is solely dedicated to putting in the headphones, turn on some music, and try to find anything you can on these two teams. Um, and one other thing is is to kind of carry a little notebook with you. It's something I didn't do early on in my play-by-play career, but something I slowly started to do is carry a notebook with you and take notes on every single game, the date at the top, and then you can just flip back to that one thing fans love to hear is what happened the last two th- the last time these two teams met. Um, and, and it's it's really a great way to kind of connect what happened before to what's going on right now. That's a great idea. And you know
0: what? I, I'll be completely honest. I didn't do that uh, last year at all. So that's something I'm going to start doing for sure. Now, how does your approach change from a television broadcast to one
1: on the radio? Well, aside from uh, getting ready to look a little bit better, Dylan, um, <laughs> the approach is, is technically and, and pretty much the same uh, for a TV, for a radio broadcast in terms of calling the game. The only thing you have to make sure when you're calling a radio broadcast as opposed to a TV broadcast is that you know they can't see what's going on. So you have to be that little bit more descriptive, whereas on TV, you can have some spots there where you're not talking for a little bit. The fan can see what's going on, especially in baseball. There's times where you're not talking because they can see what's going on. They can see that nothing is really happening right now. Um, You can kind of let the fans take it away at times, too. That can be good in radio, but a lot of the times in radio, you want them to paint paint a picture for the listener and you want to really show them what's going on as best you can. And at the same time, uh, I don't know where I heard this the first time, Dylan, but I remember this and it sticks with me. When you're calling a radio game, I think it's about a minute and a half. Every minute and a half, you want to be updating them on the score and the time. If it's in hockey, give them the time left in the period and the score. If it's baseball, give them the inning and the score. Every minute and a half, it seems like a really short amount of time. But to the listener, they could have tuned in right after you've said it the last time, and they don't want to be waiting another four or five minutes to hear what the score is.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you know what? I've personally tuned into a lot of uh, radio broadcasts in the past, whether it's on the way home from a baseball game or from school or something. Uh, and I don't know where we are in the game. And the uh, the broadcasters do a great job of of updating me. So that's a, that's a great idea. And wherever you heard that, that's clearly a very uh, – reliable place to get some, get some broadcasting tips. A couple more questions on this subject here, Noah. Um, you have worked in crews with three members in the booth, including yourself and you've worked with two. Uh, so how difficult is the transition and how do you adjust based on the number of people you have with you?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I know in the broadcasting industry, everyone's going to have differing opinions on how many people should be in the booth. Um, Generally, people are going to say two people in the booth. You want your play-by-play guy and you want your color or your analyst guy. Um, it's a good way to go. It gets everyone a lot of talking time. That being said, when I've worked in booths with three guys, it's been fantastic because I can focus on calling the action, uh, You know, telling people what's going on, making the calls. And I've got two guys beside me that can break down every single thing that happened. And the fans are really getting, and, and the listeners, viewers, they're really getting... Um, everything they need to be without being overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, it's tougher, I would assume, to work with to work with three people, just being a little bit afraid of people talking over each other, but it works itself out eventually, and it, it always sounds very, very good. Now, two questions. Well, one question, it's got two parts to it. So this is a question we ask all of our guests when they come on the podcast. Noah, do you have a favorite baseball memory?
1: Um. Be a little bit more specific. Uh, broadcasting or just any baseball?
0: Just any baseball right now. And then, and then I was going to ask what uh, what your favorite broadcasting memory is, baseball or hockey. But if you want, you can give them both to me at the same time.
1: Uh, favorite uh, me for baseball, obviously, um, for watching the Blue Jays, you know, those playoff runs back in 15-16. In the Jose Bautista bat flip was fantastic. I remember where I was in my dorm room at college, watching with my buddies, Uh, a fantastic moment, jumping for joy. It was, it was great. Um, But really my favorite baseball memory comes to playing baseball. I played here in London with the Badgers and we got to go to two straight national championships tournaments. Didn't fare very well at the tournaments, but uh, the times I had with my friends there um, making the trip to Quebec to represent Ontario uh, were some of the greatest memories I, I hold dearly to me. Um, as a baseball player um, and as for hockey i already touched on it earlier on in the show when Sens in made it to the stanley cup final to eventually lose to the anaheim ducks but uh, that was a great hockey moment for me
0: yeah that's awesome i mean playing baseball playing a team sport in general there's nothing quite like it the people you get to to meet the places you get to see and go it, it's really really awesome so uh, you can listen to and watch noah even during these tough times, as he co-hosts the newly released Majors Quarantine Corner and IBL on Deck, available on the Intercounty Baseball League and London Majors social media. Noah, of course, as mentioned earlier on in the show is the play by play voice of the London Majors and the Strathroy Rockets, as well as baseball on Rogers TV. Noah, we're not done the show yet, but thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure to get to chat with you about your time in the broadcasting industry.
1: Thanks for having me, Dylan. It's been great so far. I love sharing stories with everyone and And hopefully it inspires someone new out there to get into the industry that me and you. It's only enjoyable being in this industry.
0: We apologize for the technical difficulties that we had there. We ran into some problems as we were about to head into our next segment. It's been nearly five years since the Blue Jays acquired Troy Tulewitzki for their 2015 playoff run. This is a new segment that we will feature in almost every episode, at least for the next little while. And it's entirely inspired by Steve Dangle of Sportsnet, who does his trade trees on the sportsnet youtube channel this trade tree will be on 211's baseball talk social media the day after the release of this episode being friday may 15th so you can check it out for yourself in case you have forgotten on july 28th coming together late july 27th 2015 the blue jays acquired troy Tulowitzki and Latroy hawkins in exchange for jose reyes jesus tinoco jeff hoffman and miguel castro Tulowitzki, keep this in mind was under contract until this year with the club option for the next Latroy Hawkins was during the end of his career at this point for the Rockies. Jose Reyes was grossly overpaid $22 million until the end of 2017 with a $22 million option for the next year. Noah, it's July 28th, 2015. What's going through your head when you see this trade happen?
1: Uh, Dylan, I was really excited when I saw this trade come through for the Jays. Um, obviously we knew the Jays had a pretty good team that year and to be sitting, like you mentioned, I think it was 500 when the trade happened. Uh, it was a little bit disappointing where they were in that season. You knew that they were just a piece or two away from being in a playoff spot or at least trying to hunt down a wild card spot. And I really like this trade, picking up Troy Tulowitzki, a fantastic defensive uh, infielder, as well as swinging a great bat over in Colorado. Some people were unsure how that would translate moving away from Coors Field and into a AL ballpark like the Rogers Center. Um, And I think Latroy Hawkins was a good piece to that as well. I think he's 42 years old at that time in his career, maybe. um, So a little bit older than anyone would have liked to go. But I think he was a good piece to kind of bring that veteran leadership into the Toronto bullpen.
0: Yeah, for sure. So let's start with the Blue Jays' side of this trade. The 2015 Jays needed pitching desperately. Their offense was built to succeed, but the pitching wasn't. Instead of targeting pitching right away, GM Alex Anthopoulos acquired a shortstop in Troy Tolewitzki and traded a clubhouse favorite in jose reyes Noah, were you surprised at all when this trade was announced that they didn't get a pitcher
1: i was a little bit surprised but the way that uh, season was going you had to imagine that they were going to do it at some point and if it wasn't in this trade that they had obviously something else in their mind where they were going to go out and get an arm somewhere else so i wasn't worried i was a little bit surprised i guess i would say uh that they didn't go out and get an arm in this deal um I believe they gave up a few arms as well, if I'm not mistaken, in the trade. Uh, so I was a little bit shocked. But you know what? I, I had faith in the front office that they had something going on there, especially after making a trade like this to acquire Tulo. And sure enough, they did as they acquired David Price
0: a couple of days later. And uh, the Blue Jays were set. Unfortunately, they did get eliminated in the 2015 ALCS. Let's start with the Blue Jays' side of this. The 20 uh, sorry. Let's start with Troy Tulewitzki, I should say. He was a major part of that 2015 team down the stretch. Less on the offensive side, only hitting 239 with five home runs, 17 runs batted in in that season, but more in the clubhouse and on the infield. In the ALDS against Texas, the shortstop hit 039 with a home run and four driven in. In the ALCS, though, against Kansas City, he hit 304 with a home run and seven runs batted in. So a great series for him. Unfortunately, as mentioned, the Jays lost that series in six games to the eventual world champion Royals. The next season, in his first full season in Toronto, he had a great year. He had 254, 24 home runs, 79 driven in. In the playoffs, despite being hitless in the wildcard game against the Orioles, Tula went off in the ALDS. Against the Rangers, he hit 462, granted, in just three games, with a home run, and 5 RBI. Uh, however, the Blue Jays' bats were stifled by Cleveland pitching in the ALCS, and Tula was no exception, with just two hits in 18 at-bats. How important was Tula for those two
1: playoff teams, Noah? Uh, incredibly important, Dylan. And I think the big reason why, like you mentioned, it wasn't necessarily his offensive output because in his time in Toronto, he never really was a fantastic hitter. Uh, he was clutch at times, he hit when he needed to. But I think the defense and I think the leadership inside the clubhouse were two of the biggest things that Troy Tulowitzki brought to the Blue Jays in those playoff seasons. And I think when you acquire a guy uh, in late July in a season where you're looking to push to the playoffs, That guy, he brings to the team some leadership, like I mentioned, but I think it really shows the players that, hey, ownership, front office, they want this just as bad as we do, and I think that can really turn around a season.
0: For sure. And in 2017, that's when the struggle started for Tulo in the six. He got hurt and missed the majority of the season, only playing in 66 games. In those 66 games, he had 2-4-9 with just seven home runs and 29 runs batted in. And his production was already slowing, and that contract was looking worse and worse. That season, the Blue Jays were horrendous, and that continued in 2018, where Tulo didn't step on the field. He made comments late that season that he wouldn't, he wouldn't accept a position change, and he fully expected it to be the opening day shortstop in 2019, despite his not-so-great production and injury problems. The Blue Jays eventually released him in the offseason on my birthday, I believe, and I wasn't a Tulo fan. You can see that in any of our older episodes. He signed a deal with the Yankees and only played in 11 games in 2019 before being hurt again and retiring. Noah, were you sad to see Tulo go, and especially in the way he did?
1: Uh, I don't know Say if I would say I was sad to see Tulo go. Obviously, when... You hold memories of the 15 and 16 seasons close to you, uh, and you see guys from those teams go. It's a little bit tough, but at the same time, you're looking at a very, very injury-plagued uh, Troy Tulowitzki, Like you mentioned, he was 66 games in 2017. He played. Uh, at some point, you got to say, hey, this guy's got to go, and I think it uh, really helped the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays fans to see him uh, have a, not a very good 2019 in New York.
0: Yeah, for sure. It definitely uh, helped some Blue Jays fans get over the fact that he was gone. Looking at the other piece the Blue Jays got, LaTroy Hawkins. He played in the 2015 season, his only season under contract in Toronto, and his final season in the major leagues. He pitched very well as a J with a 2.76 ERA in his 18 appearances. He was also a tremendous influence in the clubhouse, as you alluded to earlier. In the playoffs, though, he allowed a combined nine runs in just three appearances. And as we mentioned, he retired after that season. What impact did LaTroy
1: Hawkins bring to that team? Uh, The biggest impact, and I was going to say the only impact, but I shouldn't say that. That takes a a whole lot away from LaTroy Hawkins. Uh, Leadership is the biggest impact that he brings. We've already talked about it already twice in this show. Uh, He was an older guy. Like I said, I think he was 42 at the time when he joined the Jays. Uh, He had been playing in the major leagues since 1995. Uh, He brings a whole lot of experience. He knows how to pitch, and although his arm might be failing him later in his career, I think he was a good pickup for the Jays to bring him in there, help out the bullpen, and not just the bullpen, help out all the pitchers on the on the Blue Jays and really help him into that playoff position. I don't know if he was a guy that you would necessarily trust on the mound, but like you alluded to, he actually did fairly well in his time at the Blue Jays.
0: Yeah, he did. Now, shifting over to the Rockies' side of things, they got quite the haul in that deal,
1: receiving Jose
0: Reyes and three pitching prospects. Beginning with Reyes, he was originally traded to the Blue Jays in 2012, and that trade will be covered in next week's Podcast, but with uh, with Colorado, Reyes finished the 2015 campaign, hitting 259 with three home runs and 19 driven in. After that season, he was suspended for a domestic violence dispute until May 31st. Once that ended, he was optioned to AAA to get back in shape. The Rockies had Trevor Story and Brendan Rodgers coming up, so they were content to designate him for assignment on June 15th. When he signed with the, or he then signed with the Mets on June 25th, back with a team uh, that he began back in the city in which he began his career. He would play two seasons after 2016 with the Mets, hitting 234, 27 home runs, 98 driven in in 315 games. Noah, Reyes was a bit disappointing with the Blue Jays. How big of an upgrade do you feel Troy Tulewitzki was compared to what Jose Reyes brought to that 2015
1: team? Uh, The biggest upgrade I think that the Jays possibly could have got on that market in 2015. Um, I'll try to be as nice as i can here because i was not a huge jose reyes fan at all to the, so, was so to see him go uh, i was very happy um i just don't think that he fit well with what the blue jays were trying to do back then um and to see him go i was fairly happy uh and he and, and i think as soon as he had his domestic uh, violence issue go on there while he was in colorado i think he said it was at the end of that season Um, it's usually hard for players to bounce back from something like that. And I think for Reyes, he was getting near the end of his MLB career. Yeah, for sure.
0: And uh, tough to bounce back from that, as you mentioned. Reyes was no exception to that. Now let's look at two pitching prospects. Miguel Castro, the first pitching prospect in the deal. He started the season in the big leagues with the Blue Jays as their closer but struggled mightily. And he was sent to Colorado where he had a brief five-game stint with the Major League Club once again with a 10-13 ERA. In 2016, he posted a 6.14 ERA in 19 games, bouncing between the minors and the big club. At the beginning of 2017, Castor was DFA'd by the Rockies and picked up by the Orioles, where he had relative success with a 4.06 ERA in 167 appearances over three seasons. Keep in mind, he is still 24 and has plenty of time to develop. The other big pitching prospect sent to Colorado was Jeff Hoffman. He was drafted ninth overall in 2014 by the Blue Jays and was a pitching prospect with a lot of optimism surrounding him. He was a major part of the deal going to Colorado as he was ranked in the top 100 prospects in just his second season in the Blue Jays system. However, some may, might say that he was called up too early, and that some um, is me, as <laughs> he was already in the majors in 2016. He is still a Rocky to this day with a 6'11 ERA over four seasons, mainly as a starter. His whip sits around 1.6 and he has a negative career WAR.
1: Noah, do you think these two uh, talented pitching prospects were rushed to the big leagues? I will say that uh, I think Jeff Hoffman was rushed to the big leagues for sure. I don't necessarily know about Castro. I think he's actually fared fairly well so far in his major league career. Like you said, he's still young. So to have that many uh, years under your belt in the MLB and to still be fair, faring well, I think he's done all right for himself. Um, That one was probably the one to me that uh, a lot of more people understood when the trade happened, Hoffman at the time, I think a lot of people were wondering why we're giving up such a good prospect. Uh, They'll be happy to know now that he hasn't turned out to be anything too fantastic. So uh, a good trade in my mind to get rid of those guys. You would have liked to see them maybe pick up a younger arm in the deal. But overall, pretty good to me.
0: Yeah, I would say so, too. And the final piece going to Colorado was Jesus Tinoco. He was a pretty major pitching prospect for the Blue Jays. I believe their second ranked prospect coming into that season uh, out of Venezuela. He was not rushed and made his debut last year for the Colorado Rockies. He pitched in 24 games out of the bullpen, posting a 475 ERA and a 1.61 whip. He was in the minor leagues when spring training was suspended. Noah, do you think, and I know he hasn't been a big-name prospect since he left the Blue Jays, do you think Tonoko might uh, be a successful reliever or starter in Colorado?
1: Yeah, I think he could be. uh, Like you mentioned, he hasn't been ultra-successful. Uh, with the Rockies yet uh, I believe just some minor league time but I think he's a guy that can definitely get there and I think he's got the skill uh, to possibly be a good piece in the Rockies bullpen I don't see him being much more than that I don't see any starting time for him but hey it's amazing how pitchers can change over the course of a few years you get a pitching coach that you really gel with and and it can really change your career and, and make it take off for the better
0: That's true. It's a great point, Noah. And so this trade tree didn't have very many moves after the big one next week's. It most definitely will. Thank you all very much for joining us, Noah. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. Thanks
1: for having me Dylan. It was a blast to chat baseball with you. And uh, hopefully we will get through this as soon as we can. For sure. And uh, we thank you all very
0: much for tuning in. We'd like to thank the essential workers, the frontline workers for all they are doing for us right now during this pandemic and we will hope to talk to you or hear you or see you listen next week on Thursdays we bring you episode 55 with Matt Hiscox of Matt Hiscox Photography to bring you life as a sports photographer thank you all very much for tuning in we'll see